The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. I just want to say, if you are a a regular attender here, if you are are, uh, worship with us, or if you're visiting, uh, if you visit several times or the first time, or if you're joining us online, we want to say welcome. And we want to say, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be on you today. We here at the Springs are a church that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that three ways. We gather in the name of the Father. We grow into the image of His Son. And we go by the power of the Spirit. And I want to do a little brag on this congregation. As Brian had people stand up and represented how many missionaries are supported by this church, that was just a great visual of how many people, how many missionaries this church supports. And not only that work, but the extent of the work that we are doing here and the work that happens in this room and the community and the service that happens, not only happens here, but it happens around the globe. And there's no greater joy, trust me, as one that's a missionary, than to feel like, if you're a missionary, that you are an extension of the church that is sending you. So the Springs has an address in Edmond. But the Springs Church has a presence in all of those places And we give God thanks and praise, and I give God thanks and praise for your hearts, for your humility, for your sacrifice, for your giving. And Brian wanted me to mention one more that he forgot. Our own Kendall Fike is going to go on a, a GO project to Ecuador. And so that's one more person in one more place that the Springs is sending our own out into the world. Praise God for that. We're in the year of gather. And this year, we've focused on unity. Next week, Brett's going to start a sermon series on blessed are the peacemakers. And it seemed appropriate to us that if we're going to talk about unity, one of the things we need to talk about is the practice of peacemaking. There's not a lot of unity in our world. And I'm sure you feel conflict in your life, not just on the news. But God's people are called to be peacemakers. And so we're gonna start next week on a five-week series about what it means to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker in your own life, a peacemaker in the church, and a peacemaker in the world. And so join us over the next five weeks as we talk about blessed are the peacemakers. But we are finishing the last sermon in the sermon series on Philippians. One spirit, one mind, and one love. And so today we're going to finish with Philippians 4, 10 through 20. It says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it means. No, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from uh, Epaphrodites the gift that you sent, they are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God, all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, as always, give you thanks for your word. For we know that we can't live on bread alone, but we need your word. The word that created the universe. Thank you for your word. So as we gather around it, I pray this morning for ears to hear. Open our ears. Open our hearts that we may follow. Give us lives and bodies that will obey. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Many of you know this guy, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is a football player, or was a football player, that played for the University of Florida. And Tim Tebow was very famous, still is. He played for Florida between 2006 and 2009. This accomplished a lot. He set records. He was the Heisman Trophy winner his sophomore year. He made the cover of Sports Illustrated, as you can see right here. He was a national champion. Tim Tebow accomplished a lot. But he was famous not just for his accomplishments, but he was also famous because he was a Christian. And people took note because he did all of these, accomplished all of these things, and he always gave credit to God for his accomplishments. And his mantra was the very thing that is written underneath his black eye 
patches right here. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And this comes from our text today. So in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned what it means to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this is it. Philippians 4.13. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Actually, our text is about something we've already talked about this morning. It's about missions a little bit. It's about giving and receiving. Paul's talking about, hey, you had a concern for me. You, you helped me in my mission work. In fact, you're the only church that did this. And you did it multiple times. But this text is just not about giving and receiving money. Paul is using this giving and receiving of money and supporting mission to illustrate the very thing that he's been talking about the whole time in Philippians. Besides John 3.16, there's probably no other verse that's associated with sports. But the fans, they hold up John 3.16. It's the players that quote Philippians 4.13. And as much as I appreciate Tim Tebow in the witness he gives, here's how Tim Tebow is thinking about this passage. Tim Tebow is thinking, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and Christ gives me strength to win, to accomplish, to achieve, to grasp, to take hold of. Those are all good things. And what I really appreciate about Tim Tebow is that, yes, he's given me strength to accomplish all of these things, and he gives glory back to God, and he's right to do that. But here's what Paul means. When Paul says this, that I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength, he's saying, I can be content. That I have enough. That even though I may not have reached my goal, that I have not achieved, that I have strength, even when I don't achieve all of these things, I have strength enough to be content with what I have. In other words, this is what it might sound like to us. 
I've learned to fail. But you know how I'm content in that? Because I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Because not to achieve and to grasp and to go after and to win and to take hold of, that inherently sounds like failure to us. It's really hard to achieve something. It may actually be harder to fail at something. It's harder, it's harder to deal with. In Paul's case, he knows what it means to have plenty and to have enough or to not have enough. But contentment is the recognition that life is not about grasping and achieving, accomplishing and winning. These things are not bad. Don't hear me saying these things are not bad. That what Tim Tebow did, those things are not bad. But what Paul is talking about here and what he's been talking about through the whole book of Philippians is that life is about achieving, grasping, taking hold of, or necessarily winning as we would define it. These things aren't bad, but life in Christ is not about that. For Christ, who being in the very nature with God did not consider equality with God something to be achieved or grasped. Life is not about grasping or achieving. And this is perhaps our greatest temptation. Because we live in a merit-based society, achievement society, and a progress society. I mean, you feel it all the time, and I, I even teach my kids about this. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. You want to achieve. You want to get a good education, right? As they're not paying attention to me. Good, good grades. You want to get a good job? You want to try to be successful in what you do? You want to be the best parent you could be. You want to achieve that. You want to be the best spouse you can be. You want to achieve financial security. All these things are good things. I want to achieve health and longevity of life. So I'm going to do that by trying salad with, you know, with tomato and a cucumber and so I can live longer, achieve that. All of those are good things. But the greatest temptation is to think that life is about all achieving all those things. Life is not about achieving. But here's, I think, what Paul says, that contentment, is about trusting in God's achievement in Christ, which gives us strength. So 
So it's not just about achieving being a good parent. It's actually not thinking about achieving, actually just thinking about your kids and what's best for them. You see the difference? Something I achieve rather than something that's just external to me. The Roman world is about achievement. Now, maybe not achievement exactly in the same things or in the ways we think. They're an honor-shame society. So one of the things they want to achieve, and we've talked about this, is honor. But the other thing that an honor-shame society is about, it's about relationships. And relationships work in a particular way in, in Philippi and in a, a, a Greek-Roman culture. That relationships are often used to achieve things. Now, this is what's called a patron-client society. So, here's how it works. Not everybody's equal. This is a very modern thing, that everybody's considered equal. Not everybody's equal. There's kind of a hierarchy. And there are those that are called patrons. These are the people that provide for a group of people. So there may be one patron, and they provide for the group. They're usually the leader, or they're the ones that have the resources. They provide. And the ones that receive are called the clients. And how this relationship works, it's called a, a relationship of reciprocity. And it's the, it's the reciprocity is this fancy word for you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. So they're using these relationships. By the way, this is not foreign to us. We do it a little bit differently, but it's the same thing. You have something, I have something. There's reciprocity. That's not always a bad thing. But in the Greco-Roman culture, Paul wants to make light of this, and he wants to say, listen, the patron is supposed to give things, and the client benefits from that. And how the client pays back the patron is to give them respect and honor and praise. In a culture where honor is valued, to be a patron means that I'm going to pay you back with honor. And if I don't honor you, you may keep something from me. Therefore, you have to compete for honor because it's like a limited good, just like other goods are limited. So this is why you see in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Matthew, that the Jesus and the Pharisees that the Pharisees are always going after Jesus because they're competing in an honor-shame culture. They're trying to shame Jesus. And they're trying to get honor because if Jesus has the honor, they don't have it. And so they're trying to work that. There's two patrons at work, the Pharisees and Jesus, and they're competing for honor. Although, I'm not sure Jesus is competing on the same, by the same rules as the Pharisees. But that's a different sermon series for a different day. But there's two ways that you can get honor. You can be right, and the Pharisees tried to argue with Jesus to prove themselves right or more honorable. We're more right. Therefore, people should listen to us and honor us. Or two, you can get honor by looking better by comparison. 
So they try to shame Jesus and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You remember this from the Gospel of Matthew? He's always asking, why does he eat with these people? And why does he do this? And why does he, they're trying to shame Jesus to make themselves look better. So there's two ways to get it by trying to argue to be right more right than the other or by trying to shame to make someone look better and it seems that the problem in the philippian church which paul has been trying to address it seems that the problem is some kind of disagreement or or, or there's this unity and you can see this in one verse chapter 4 verse 2 says this There we go. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Enteke to be of the same mind in the Lord. Do you hear Philippians 2 in that? Be of one mind, one love, one spirit. He does all this work then to plead with these two women to be of the same now, we don't know much about these women, but they seem to be key figures in the church. In other words, as someone told me, hey, when you go to a, a church, when you work in a church, in a new church, figure out who are the mama bears of the church. And perhaps it doesn't tell us much, but perhaps they're two competing leaders in a church or they're leaders of two competing house churches. We really don't know, and Paul doesn't tell us. But I want you to notice something, that Paul does not give us a clue as to what their problem is between each other. He doesn't tell us that. It may have something to do with the Judaizers that Paul mentions in chapter 3, but we don't know. And I think this is what it tells us, is that Paul is not primarily concerned about the topic of their disagreement. As important as that topic may be. It seems maybe they're competing for honor. They're competing to be right. And his concern is not who gets the honor or who's right. His concern is them, not their topic. Do you see the difference? Because he says both their names are written in the book of life. How many church problems and divisions happen out of a fight about who does church right? Anybody ever heard of a, a problem in the church? Can I get an amen, Monty? Or a fight about how to accomplish this or that in the church. I love our movement, the Restoration Movement, Church of Christ. The Churches of Christ, along with the Christian Church and the Disciples of Christ, which came out of the Restoration Movement, which is, was this movement in North America 
to restore the church to the New Testament church. I love our movement. That's why I'm still a part of it. In full disclosure, I don't want to change our name. I don't want to be any. I, I, I love the church of Christ. You are my people. These are my people. This is my history. So having said all that, I want to say this about our movement. What we tried to do was have the right forms of the correct church in order to end division. That was the goal, one of the goals. The second goal was this, to achieve a form of the correct church to usher in Christ's return. Our early ancestors in this movement believed that if we could get the church to look right, Christ would return. If we can get everybody unified around the right form of church, Christ would return. But in their concern, right, and to achieve being the correct church, how many people got hurt, disregarded, or dismissed? And if you're old enough, you know that's a big body count. Am I right? All the people of an older age go, yep. Trust them, they have experience. And history has a tendency to repeat itself. Let me say this. I serve as an elder, so I'm with the elders of this church quite a bit. I want to brag on them. They have great humility. And they have deep, deep concern not only for me, but for you. I'm a member of this staff, and let me speak for the staff. This staff, the ministry staff, has deep humility and great, great concern for me and you. I'm not talking about me to you. I'm talking about the elders and the leaders of this church, the ministry staff. I've seen their concern for me and their concern for you even when they didn't fully agree on something. Their character is the character of Christ. Concern is a big word in Philippians. This is a key verb in Philippians. So Philippians 2, verse 2, have the same concern, one mind, one love, one spirit. Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same concern as Christ. Paul, when he mentions these two women, he doesn't bring up the topic they disagree with. You know what he's concerned about? He's concerned about them and their relationship with each other and the church. Here's what Philippians says we should be concerned about. Relationships. Contentment is being concerned with the right things. And Paul's concern is for the relationships in the church and for his relationship with the church. You are concerned about me, he said. And so Philippians 4, 14, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, 
Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more aid than once uh, when I was in need. More than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that it be credit to your account. You shared in my troubles, he said. You're concerned about me. Their concern is not their own need. Paul's need for money or the church's need to get honor. They're not grasping for honor from Paul, and Paul is not needing their money. Their concern is not selfish ambition or vain conceit, this need that they have to accomplish, to get. But in humility, they're considering others better than themselves, and they're not looking after their own interests or their own needs, but the needs of others. Because even Paul, he says, not that I need, desire your gifts. What I, my, my concern is about, my concern is not about your gift. My concern is about you. Your concern is not to give me money so that you get great honor. You're actually concerned about me. And I'm not concerned about getting your money. I'm actually concerned about you. Do nothing out of eight. Uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. But look after the interests of others above your own. Life in Christ is about relationships, and relationships thrive with these two things. We've talked about this. They thrive with humility, and humility is considered considering others better than yourself. This is how relationships thrive in the kingdom. And two, they thrive on love. And love in the kingdom of God is looking after the interests of others above your own. Humility and love. Therefore, Paul can say this in 18 through 20. He goes on to say, I have received the full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is how to be content. It's not achieving everything you think you need. But it's trusting and relying that God will meet your needs through his glorious riches in Christ. Do you see that at the end? I've highlighted it for you. He's giving us a sermon, a lesson on what relationships look like in the kingdom. How to be one. So take encouragement. He tells these two church leaders, take encouragement. Because Christ has shown them and has shown us how to be content or how to be strong in the kingdom. He says, let, your, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. Have the same concern that Christ had. 
who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. He did not regard equality with God something to be used to his advantage. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a human, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here's the good news. And therefore God exalted him more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name. He said, patron-client relationships, that's, how not, that's not how we play here. Because the word patron, that word is actually from the Latin that means father. The pater, the father. And what he's saying is, is that God is the patron, the father, who will provide what you need through Jesus Christ. You can consider others better than yourselves because God will provide. You can look after the interest of others above your own because God will provide. God is the patron, the Father, who will provide the patience, the love, what we need to be one mind, one love, one spirit. We are his people who give honor through our unity in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. And the whole church said, Amen. Let's stand.